How's it going everybody and welcome to episode number 30 of Master My Garden podcast. In this week's episode I'm joined by Kevin Begley from Coolwater Gardens. Coolwater is situated just outside Limerick but it sounds like a really interesting garden, lots of unusual type plants in it and you know not the typical open garden. So this is the third open garden that we featured, it's the first one outside Leinster which I'm happy about. It's good to spread around the country into different areas. And as I say, it sounds totally different to the other gardens, so really looking forward to this. So let's get stuck in to this week's episode. So this week we're joined by Kevin Begley from Coolwater Garden, just outside Limerick City. And... Uh, it's a garden I haven't been to myself yet, and it's the third of our open garden feature, so I'm really looking forward to this one, and it's good that we're you know, getting outside Leinster. The first two were, were Leinster-based, so it's nice to be getting, as I say, outside of the Leinster area for this one. So, Kevin, firstly, you're very, very welcome to Master My Garden podcast. Okay, thank you, John. So, Kevin, um, as we get started, maybe you'll tell us a little bit about Cool Water first, where it is, about the garden itself, and then we might you know, get you to describe the garden for our listeners. Right, okay, John. Um, well, Cool Water is uh, 12 minutes from Junction 29 on the M7, and it's uh, about eight or nine miles south of Limerick City. And I started this garden in 2009 when I was coming near retirement. And previous to this, when I was working, the um, garden was just all lawn with an orchard down the back. And uh, I used to get fed up of cutting grass because they used to take me four and a half hours cutting the grass here. <laughs> no, that's, so, not, that's um, not nice anyway. <laughs> so one day we were all out the back uh, chatting with friends and a friend of mine, he has a plant hire business, JCBs, etc. And I said to him, Holly, I'm fed up cutting grass here. I'm going to do something here, solve this. So he said, what are you going to do? Put down gravel or something? And I said, no, no, that's sort of boring. I said, I'll tell you what to do. You've got the machinery there. Just dig all that out in the back garden. I'm going to put a pond in because you don't have to mow the grass. And that's how the whole thing started. So the um, to the rear of the house is a water garden and uh, the pond is 90 feet long. And it was all filled with native plants from local farmers' fields, etc. Um, and then, uh, in a year or two from then, I added uh, exotic plants. So this garden is either native plants or exotic plants, and there's very little in the middle. There's no lawns or borders or what a you would expect in a normal garden. Yeah. So this gar garden is totally different. Okay. So the the pond then became the the centerpiece of the garden, and and it's substantial. You said ninety feet long, was it? It's ninety feet long. Yeah, yeah, yeah John. With and um, yeah. So then uh, when I had the pond dog uh, a year or so later, I had to decide what to do with the front garden. Now, I didn't copy anyone else. I didn't go to visit any other gardens or copy anyone. So I was wondering, what am I going to do in the front garden? And I don't want any grass. So what I did then, I went down to Castle Island and Kerry and met a farmer. 
and he remembered having an old quarry on his farm. So I got all these flagstones from him. They're Namorian sandstone, 350 million years old. And I laid them all over the front garden. And my idea was to plant in between them. Okay. So that's what I did. But now you can hardly see any flagstones because the plants have have taken over. over. (laughs) And what color is that? Is that Kerry limestone? It's not limestone, no, it's sandstone. Oh, sandstone. It's, or, it, well, it's, a, it's actually a mudstone. Okay. A mudstone. It's actually blue. Uh, the middle of it is blue, but it's actually coloured red from water running off the bog. Okay. Uh, uh, iron-rich water running off the bog. So, to all intents and purposes, it looks like a red stone. Well, it is a red stone to look at it. Yeah. But uh, if the frost chipped a bit off, it's blue underneath. Okay. So, interesting stone. Yep. What is yeah. yeah, and from there, I, I presume when you were starting out, you, you you had a big lawn that you wanted to kind of uh, displace with a garden. But by the sounds of it, you you had uh, gardening experience before you took on this big project. Not really. No. 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 So, no. and but I I I'd natu- um it's all common sense. You'd, I'd naturally know about plants anyway. Yeah. So. Um, you know, it's it's no big deal. Um, you know, gardening is easy, really. You, you just, uh, if you have empathy towards plants, you're 90% there. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one, actually, yeah. And uh, mm. so that was the bones of it then. So you had your, your, big, yeah. your big pond at the back and correct, correct, a big yeah. paved area at the front that was going to be planted through, yeah. the, through the cracks. Uh, which I presume yeah. was alpine type flowers, uh, plants. Yeah, they they they'd be evergreen perennials like phlox and thyme, armoria maritima, etc. etc. Okay, and all of those now have filled in, you know, any of the spaces that were. All they the have. The, 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 a lot of the the paved areas are sort of vanished under a green um, green cover. Okay, and yeah. the garden itself then it's. It's a fairly big site, isn't it? Is it half an acre site? No, it's only half an acre, but uh, the house takes a good part of that. Yes. Then I have ga- garages for classic cars, and there's a few garages around the place, and uh, this and that. So there possibly isn't much planted area as such, because the pond takes up most of the rear garden anyway. Mm-hmm. And then I have a couple of garages for cars, and... Uh, then, you know, so um, uh, it isn't a big garden area-wise, but there's an awful lot of different plants in it, and plants you wouldn't see in a normal garden. Okay. So maybe, maybe Kevin, you'll tell us about some of those plants and, you know, some of the, not necessarily the more unusual ones, but the plants that, yeah. that, that you like the best, and you're going to them as much detail as you, as you wish. Okay, just... Um, well, for example, as you come in the on the gate on the right, we have a, a Scheffler macrophylla that came from a Vietnamese plant hunting Irish plant hunting expedition four or five years ago, and that and that's an interesting plant. Um, one of the latest little trees I planted there at the front is Pseudopanax latius, okay. known as a five finger tree from New Zealand, and it has. Um, red purple stems and beautiful dark green glossy leaves 
that's a beautiful, beautiful uh, plant, and I want to get more of those as well. Um, then we have a Stuartia, a small Stuartia tree, uh, Stuartia pseudocamellia. Um, and those leaves turn bright red, a fire engine red in the autumn. Okay. So it's only planted this year, so I'm looking forward to seeing the autumn colour in that. Yeah. Um, so the first plant you mentioned yeah. there was 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 brought in on a plant hunting hunting exhibition to Vietnam, and uh, yeah. how does that like the weather conditions? Because obviously you're in the west of uh, Ireland. How does like yeah. like the west? Well, I I have a very cold, exposed garden. Um, now, in different gardens down in um, West Cork and Kerry, and they can um, they can manage with frost tender plants. Yeah. But I have more difficulty with that, and I don't wrap anything or cover them up for the winter. So I have two Scheffler macrophyllas. One at the front was a hit by frost this winter, even though it was a mild winter, mm-hmm. but it came back, and it's now about four or five feet high and I planted a second one at the back behind a bamboo grove or in between two bamboo groves and that must be eight or nine feet high now that wasn't affected by the frost because it was protected by the bamboo yes so it wasn't wasn't getting the wind but actually the site the site that I'm on here um is a little bit similar to that in that okay we're not we're not near the coast i'm inland i'm in leash so i couldn't yeah. be as, i couldn't be any further from the sea in in terms of ireland yeah. um yeah but but what we do get here we're on quite high ground uh, in an area yep. called the castle Comer plateau and we get very very late frosts and this year right. it was the 12th 12th 13th and 14th three days in a row uh, a very very heavy frost in may and yeah Actually, for the first time it? ever, it did a lot of damage. But for the first time, I saw it. Um, it really knocked back even things like beech hedges that you know are hardy as anything, because oh. we we'd got such good growth with the warm weather prior to that, and yeah. then then this yeah. late frost came and it literally skinned beech hedges. I oh dear, some nice astilbes uh, that were flying yeah, because... and they got almost killed, and so there was a lot of a lot oh. of damage done. Oh dear. Because you'd imagine if you were up high that the cold air would roll downhill. Yeah, what we get is we, we kind of get, as I say, a frost. Um, not, not the wind the wind is bad here, but it's definitely a late frost, and it, it seems to come more or less every year. Um, oh. Whatever way it is, you know, obviously just yeah. certain areas awfully unleashed, they can get quite late frost just because of where they are. Um, but yeah. yeah, yeah, it has been a feature over the last few years is this is this real late frost, and it does a lot of harm at, up here anyway. Oh dear. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. your back, the back plant was, was protected by a bamboo grove and bamboos are, are a fairly prominent feature within your garden, aren't they? Oh, there's quite a few different bamboos here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we have the Chinese walking stick bamboo, uh, quite a few different bamboos. Bamboos are a plant, I suppose, nearly everybody likes them and there's I suppose there's a bit of fear about them because of the you know the stories of of the roots traveling and so on um in a garden setting like yours I'm sure it, you're not you're not necessarily trying to contain the roots but for people who are gardening maybe in a a smaller area have you any advice I, for them I, well what of, I did with mine when I bought my bamboo I didn't realize that there were two types as a running bamboo or as I call it, a galloping bamboo. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. and there's a clumping bamboo. Yes. And I didn't realize that there were clumping bamboos available. So I bought uh, all running bamboos, you know, and um, uh, I wanted to contain them because I don't want them running all over the garden, etc. Yeah. So what I did, I, on most of them, I dug a trench down about 12 or 15 inches with a Newcastle drain spade. That's a spade with a very narrow uh, width. And uh, it'll, it'll, it's such a strong spade, it'll actually break concrete blocks and things. I can use it to smash concrete blocks in half. Yeah. But uh, that went through, uh, dug, dug the, the trench and filled them with concrete. And that solved the problem with quite a few of them. But there's a few, a, a couple of other groves that is, it's impractical to put in a, a, a concrete barrier. Mm-hmm. So all I do, anyone that, that stray outside their territory, I just snip them up. Yeah. And for somebody, for somebody who's trying to do that in, in a small garden, um, obviously you're better go for the clumping types. But if it is a runner yeah. type that you have, there is a, a barrier that you can get now that you know, a membrane that the, the roots won't go through and you have to use that, especially in, in around towns or yeah. anywhere near any sort yeah. of a structure. Yeah. Well, I'd advise anyone to go for far easier types that are clumping bamboos. Um, yeah. you, you might tell us a little bit more about um, the water garden. So obviously it's a big, big pond. What have you got yeah. in there in terms of plants? Right. It's nearly all native plants except for water lilies. So I went to farm, farmers around near me and I said, could I have some of this plant mentioning, say, weeping sedge or bulrushes or so? And the answer that I got invariably was, take the lot, <laughs> because to them they're weeds, you yes. know. So I just went in with my spade and dug up the um, weeping sedge, yellow flag, reeds, bulrushes, there's very wet land around here in places, you see. Okay. So, um, uh, marsh marigold, another one, bog beans, another one, poor man's water lily is another one, um, et cetera, et cetera. Flowering rush, I got another. Arrowhead was another uh, local plant I got. Um, and people were amazed that uh, they thought I got these from garden centers. I said, no. Oh, they're actually growing around here, but you don't notice them because they're all mixed in with other plants. But if you isolate them, and I put everything in these black plastic trays in the pond, so the theory is I can lift it out and change it if I want or change the position. Um, and when they're featured on their own, they, they, they stand out then. Yeah. So quite, quite in one sense, quite ordinary plants, but putting them into yeah. a, a setting on their own and letting them letting them shine as opposed to yeah there's a grass called reed canary grass and it grows in wet fields and it grows to about four or five feet high has a purple seed head on top and um in the winter the foliage leaves turn to a translucent beige color so it's beautiful in the winter time and that's a local plant that no one notices but it's actually nicer than um, any grass you'd buy in a garden centre. Yeah. In terms of the uh, water lilies, then what what have you got there? Well, what I did, uh, um, I didn't have much money to start with here, so I got a tuber from somebody, and I cut it 
with a hacksaw into 17 pieces. <laughs> so it's like growing seed, putting down seed potatoes. So I tried to have an eye in each piece, and I planted one little piece in each tray, and 14 out of the 17 grew from the one water lily tuber. That was good work. And since, yeah, and since then, the, 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 it's a pink variety. It's sort of spread all over the pond. So I went away then and bought two red ones and two white ones and two yellow ones to have a bit of variety. But they're useless. It's, it's the pink one is the dominant one here in the pond. And, and you only see a, f a few red and a f maybe a one white, one yellow. But there could be um, over a hundred pink water lilies in flower at any time. Okay, and you let them do their thing now. You're not separating them anymore or dividing them anymore. Uh, no, I don't know me, but last year what happened, a whole section of them came floating up to the top because my p pond is concrete. Okay. It's not not made from earth, right? so they've nothing to grip into, really. You know, I put the earth in the tray, but uh, some of these maybe have grown out of the tray, mm -hmm. and they all floated to the top, so I had to replant them in these uh, trays and put a stone on it to, Make it sink to the bottom. Yeah, you know? so you don't have a planting shelf built into the pond then as such? No, no. no. But what I have all around the edge are these uh, black plastic trays that vegetables come from into supermarkets. Yeah. And they're set on either another tray upside down or concrete blocks or something like that to raise them up a bit. And uh, everything's in trays. But you can't really see the trays because the vegetation grows out over them. That's a good idea. It's, a, it's actually, essentially, it's it's um, a bigger version of the normal aquatic pots that people would be used to, the, the black mesh pots. But but by yeah. by using the, oh, yeah. the crate, yeah. you're, you're getting a, a very big version of the same thing. So it's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a couple of areas of the pond at the back are sloped up. So any, any, any creatures that um, fall in or want to get out, it's easy for them to... Uh, uh, crawl out on the sloped edges and you probably have because it's a, a relatively natural pond you probably have yeah. quite a bit of wildlife in there so what what would you typically see in there um well I ha uh, we had a lizard one time a real lizard and um but then uh a neighbor's cat camped in the garden for three days and nights watching out for him i mean we, we never saw the lizard after that okay. but what was amazing was that i found a cone about of rams empty ram's horn snail shells um about 12 inches high a perfect cone and i couldn't work out originally who had made this cone and i asked everyone they didn't know but it was the lizard i had a little ramp special ramp set up under the formiums and he'd been going up and down the ramp into the water getting his breakfast and his lunch and his dinner uh, on ram's horn snails and left a, a beautiful little cone of empty shells under the formiums. Oh. And I said the, the, the cat came in and um, I never saw the lizard after the cat. That was a pity. After, after that, the cat left. Yeah. And do you have frogs and other things in it as well? Or? Oh, there's loads of frogs and there's loads of newts. I have two ponds out the front as well. And the, the bottom one of the pond in the front had about 50 newts in it in the spring. And the upper one has about only about 20 newts in it. Taking that experience, would you have any advice for people who are looking to create a wildlife pond of, of any size in their garden? Yeah, you can't have fish and newts in, in the same pond. They, oh. they don't get on. Yeah. 
either the fish eat the new eggs or vice versa or, or I don't know what they but I did make a mistake I put in sticklebacks from the river Shannon into the pond and um, uh, uh, a year or so later I had thousands and thousands of sticklebacks in the pond and I think the newts then moved from the big pond out to the two front ponds so they're full of newts where there's no fish Right, and I ha I haven't seen any newts in the um, in the big pond out the back at all. Yeah, so s stay as natural as possible if you're if you're creating a wildlife pond. Yeah, I wouldn't have goldfish or anything like that because they're not native. You see. Yeah. Uh, we had two more hens came in last year, and um, the more hen builds an, a nest with just one egg in it, so they have they build about three or four nests. So they had three nests that I could see anyway, with one egg in each. And then the little more chicks hatched and everything. And uh, they were lovely. They were little balls of black fluff with two long sticky legs uh, sticking out the bottom of them, running around on top of the water lily leaves. And everyone loved them. Yeah, brilliant. And, yeah, and then one day they were gone. So we thought, oh, they're a bit young, really, to uh, fly away. You know, they shouldn't be ready yet. But the two adults were there, but the ch chicks are gone. But two days later, then we saw a heron flying out of the pond so we reckon the heron oh, right. took took the more chicks yeah okay Gee, that was a pity yeah. you have a, a few pieces of kind of what would you call it architecture within the garden as well haven't you am i right in saying there's oh yeah um when i made a sculpture there um i call it a riparian sculpture it's on the um southern side of the pond that's made out of an eight by four piece of mild steel shaped with an angle grinder etc Okay. And I have another little statue. I call him Fred because I couldn't think of a better name. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lack of imagination <laughs> for naming someone. And um, the latest one I have that I've actually bought it is um, a sculpture made of all engine parts, etc. But it, it will be going into the, uh, situated in the middle of the pond somewhere. I have to build a stand for it. Oh, that's unusual. Okay. Yeah, it will be very, very unusual. Yeah, and it's not something that you would naturally associate with being in the middle of the pond as such. So, yeah, it's a... No, no. Um, yeah, I'll have to see how it looks. I think it, it, it looked dramatic anyway. It'll be dramatic and interesting for sure. And <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah. so sure you said you said about lack of imagination. That sounds like quite a, quite a good imagination there. Um, yeah, that'd be interesting to see. <laughs> Um, yeah. your garden your garden uh, I saw something only recently on the Irish gardening uh, Facebook page where you had kind of a sort of an overview of the garden and one thing that caught my eye and I thought it was a, a great feature was you have more or less every plant in the garden is labeled so oh, yeah yeah um, yeah yeah tell, tell um, us a little bit out about that that's a lovely touch because when people come to visit open gardens yeah. generally they see something that they like and okay they might not take everything home but they see a plant that they like and mm -hmm. taking a photograph is great but to have the name within that photograph so they can go away and search further or try and find it in their in their local garden center or whatever is great roughly roughly how many different types of plant have you in the garden i know that's probably a hard question to answer but ballpark. absolutely no idea yeah i have but no idea. From if you want to know how many troughs I have for alpine plants, I have over 70 troughs. Wow. And uh, I, the pots now will be, could be maybe twice that number, I'm not sure, pots in it. 
and then there's other things like um, recently we cut off the end of the 600 gallon oil tank and filled it up with a ton of earth and planted a crevice garden in that. Okay, and so so, so alpines are you know, probably one of your major features then within the garden, are they? Oh, alpines been very very big here, and there's a lot. Of, there are many old choice alpines, so which you can get here generally. There's only one alpine nursery in the country, and that's Susan Tyndall up in County Down. Um, so most 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 of them I get from England or Holland. Okay. But they'd be from uh, very like Kazakhstan, the Tanjim Desert, uh, the Arctic Circle, all different places like that. So you wouldn't find those in a garden centre. So people find those very interesting. Yeah, and obviously yeah. you've you've lots of alpines, and the uh, alpines by their nature are tough, and they they grow in. I suppose the most extreme um, places around the world. Yeah, but they don't like winter wet. Okay, they don't like sitting in wet. Yeah, yes. Well, they don't just don't like too much rain. A lot of them. Okay. Um, so that's the big problem here is the the amount of rainfall, and some of them rot. Okay. With the amount of rain, because they're obviously from high places on the mountains, and they have very sharp drainage yeah. although they might have rain it runs off the mountain fairly fast yeah. and it does, uh, the, the water doesn't hang around okay. it's off, off down the mountainside they're, they're all along the avenue at the back here mm -hmm. all the troughs there's, tr there's troughs in the front garden there's troughs all around the house troughs at the side of the house troughs on the big patio troughs on the small patio troughs in the avenue they're all over the place <laughs> oh. you know, yeah, yeah. So 70 troughs the, in the region of? That's just just the big troughs, and then there's all the pots as well. Oh. So um, I'm, I'm looking here, uh, we have a xeric bed here. So it's under a glazed part of the pergola to keep off the rain, and I never water them. So we have plants like agaves. There's agave americanas there, they're about eight feet high. Um, there's a um, barrel cactus, uh, uh, there's bunny ears cactus, aeonium, echeverias, etc. And they stay out all winter long, but they're protected from the rain by the, the glass overhead. And there's a lot of cactus there as well. Now, I have lost some cactus, but sometimes when you get a storm and the rain blows in underneath the the glazing. Yeah. And and the cactus might only get soaked for one night or so but it's gone in a few days time yeah so i've lost about three or four of those that's that a, way that's yeah. i suppose that's 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 another point that you know gardeners starting out they they put in any type of a plant and if it fails they think that's it i can't garden but it just it just goes to show that you know it's it is trial and error when you're when you're gardening well um, yeah you know you have to have empathy with the plant and think now where did it where does it normally live etc yeah. so the cactus are in dry places they, they, they don't have misty rain all the time so obviously they're, they're not prepared for that so you have to put them in a, in a position in the garden where they won't get rained upon yeah and as we as we spoke on the on the lead up to doing this interview um, you mentioned that your garden is a year-round garden, so you're open. Oh, it is, yeah. You're open basically twelve months of the year. Yeah, except for the Christmas week from Christmas Eve to, to uh, 
after New Year's Day. Okay, so on, yeah. that's yeah. quite an unusual uh, well, we're, feature. We're, we're, uh, we're, we're too busy drinking and carousing <laughs> that week. Yeah, well, that has to be done. That has to be done. But it's um, it's an unusual feature for an open garden because most open gardens, as you know, are uh, summer gardens. Essentially, you, they probably open yeah. in April and they close again maybe at end of August or yeah. end of September. Yeah. That generally. So yeah. it's an unusual feature that you're you're open twelve months of the year, and yeah, by the and you can walk, yeah, you can walk around this garden uh, any month of the year, and you won't get your feet wet. You know, you're not walking on grass or wetland or anything like that. Yeah. So uh, you can walk around and uh, enjoy it in January or February. February, March, and April are very very good with all the alpines and the flower. Yeah. The be- the best month to see this garden is actually April. Okay. Would be, the, would be the top month and the worst month for colour would be probably August I suppose a couple of things then as we start to finish off here um, so it sounds like a very interesting garden with um, not your typical plants very very unusual plants which is mm. obviously good for people you know something interesting something different something yep. that they may not have seen before and mm-hmm. I suppose a few things if you were giving advice to someone who was trying to master their own garden what would that advice be? Don't copy anyone else. Don't don't just copy anyone else. Um, if you like a plant, find out all about it first. Uh, so you must have sympathy with the plant, where it originated from, the conditions it, it grows in, etc. And if you can, try to replicate those conditions. So if, if you try and plant an agave out in the open garden, which I have done incidentally, it's no good. It, it just rots in the winter. Um, you can take cold as long as it's dry, but when you combine frost and sodden earth and really wet all the time, then it's uh, curtains for it. Yeah. So you've got to have empathy for your plant. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, make, make sure yeah. that you're putting the right plant in the right location. Yeah. 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 Very good. That's a great yeah. tip. Kevin, um, yeah. where, where can people find you online? I know you're you're quite active online, so where can people find you online? Well, the website is www.coolwatergarden.com. There's also a Facebook page, Cool Water uh, Garden. Very good. And then uh, there's a lot of pictures of it on the, the Irish Gardening uh, Facebook page. Very good. And the Irish Gardening Facebook page, you're one of the admins on that. I'm the admin on it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. very good. Yeah. And that, that's that's a super a super Facebook uh, or super page and a super facility for people who are, you know, it doesn't matter what level of gardening you're at, there's there's uh, people there, lots of people on there who have lots of knowledge. Oh, yeah. So it's a, it's a great, a great yep. page. Yep. There's, there's people on there who just started gardening in egg cup up to uh, very big gardens, so everyone is, is welcome. It really is no a great site, I have to say, yeah. Yeah, no one's looked down upon or anything. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, everything everything is open in terms of COVID and everything now again. There's no, no issues there, you're, you're open away. To visit the garden, you must pre-book okay. with COVID-19. You can just rock up to the gate. That's that's good. Yeah. That's good to mention that anyway. So yeah. people well, also when we, when we do a tour, you see the tour takes say an hour twenty minutes or up to two hours, and then we have refreshments afterwards, and it takes a while to organise get all the refreshments ready. Yes. So if someone just rocks up to the gate, 
we haven't got those ready. It's yeah. going to take me almost an hour to get everything ready. Yeah, so to enjoy so, the experience fully, you, you need to pre-book. You have to pre-book. Yeah, perfect. Definitely, yeah. Kevin, it has been a brilliant chat. It's a garden that I haven't been. I've I've seen you, quite a few of your photographs on the Irish Gardening um, yeah, uh, yeah. Facebook page, and it does look yeah. really interesting. I haven't spoken to you. It sounds uh, like a garden like no other i would say um yeah well if you're expecting lawns and borders i'm very <laughs> very sorry you'll be disappointed <laughs> yeah so uh, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing whenever you get you get around to getting this uh sculpture made out of engine parts put in the middle of the pond that sounds as i say like something mm. uh, something that is very unusual and very imaginative so uh really looking yeah. forward to that kevin it has been yeah. a br brilliant chat uh Sounds like a really interesting garden. Really looking forward to visiting sometime myself. And thank you very much for coming on Master My Garden podcast. Okay then, John. Right, okay, thanks. So that's been this week's episode. A huge thanks to Kevin for coming on. It sounds like a very interesting garden. Not your typical, what you would expect to see in an open garden. So he has said that there's no lawns in it. There's no big perennial borders in it. It's... Uh, native plants and slightly exotic plants and ones that you won't typically see as i say in other open gardens so very very interesting also the pond area sounds really interesting and i think when he puts his sculpture made out of engine parts into it again it'll add a feature that i'd say certainly the majority of us would never have seen anything like that before so as i say it sounds like a really interesting place and looking forward to seeing it sometime in the future if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with all your gardening friends. You can find us on the social channels, which is Facebook at Master My Garden and Instagram at Master My Garden. And you can also email if there's anything you'd like covered, email info at mastermygarden.com. And as I say, it's good to cover episodes that people are requesting. So if there is anything, please shout. Happy to cover it for you. That's pretty much it. I hope you enjoyed it. And until the next time, happy gardening. Mm -hmm.